Matthew chapter 4 in our Bibles. Uh, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Now, when Jesus began his ministry, one of the very first things uh, that he did uh, was to go out and look for disciples. I say look for, he already knew who they were going to be, but uh, he went out to make disciples. And here in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is calling uh, some of his very first disciples. And I'd like to focus on something very particular uh, on, about what it means to be a follower or, or a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we're often told, and in, uh, you know, with a lot of truth, we are not to quit. Uh, we shouldn't quit. We need to continue. But if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, there are definitely some things that, as Christians, we need to put off. And uh, I'd like to focus on that this morning. There's a lot that could be said about that, uh, but I'll just mention a few things as time allows this morning that, as Christians, if we're going to be genuine, committed followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, uh, we have to put them off. Uh, we have to set them aside. And so here in Matthew chapter 4, let's start reading in verse 18. The Bible says, And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. So now there's, there's a few things in this passage here that I find interesting. Uh, Jesus is calling some of his very first disciples, his very first followers, and one of, the, one of the, the things I notice immediately is that Jesus is not approaching them. He's not calling them at a time that was convenient for them. He didn't approach them. He didn't call them, you know, on their day off. <laughs> he didn't call them when they were at home relaxing or where, you know, when they were on their, their you know, had some free time. He called them right at a moment when they were, when they were right in the middle of the, the, the worries and the cares of this life, you could say. They were on the job. They were working. As you can see, they were fishers. They were mending their nets. They were, in, in, the, in the case of uh, James and John, they were with their father on the ship. And uh, they were right in the middle of their, they were right in the middle of doing their job. And Jesus chose, I believe, purposely chose that particular moment, that particular time in their life to call them. And as Christians, if we're going to serve Christ, if we're going to follow Christ, he's not going to call all of us to walk away from our secular jobs. Obviously not. But what we do need to do is put off or distance ourselves from the cares and the worries of this life. Uh, we cannot be effective, uh, genuine followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, serving the Lord Jesus Christ, if the cares and the worries of this life are strangling out the seed, of the, choking out the seed of the Word of God and the work that it wants to do in us. It's just impossible. As Jesus himself said, no man can serve two masters. 
And so I'm not saying, like I said, I'm not saying we need all of us, God's calling all of us to leave a secular job. God needs committed Christians in church that have a secular job and they give of their time to the work of the Lord. Uh, the Bible says that if a man is not willing to work, then he shouldn't eat either. Uh, so God's not calling all of us to walk off of our jobs and uh, just, you know, follow Christ in that sense. But we ought not to let the cares of this world have so much of our time, so much of our energy uh, that we have nothing left to give for God. And so I believe that part of the reason, at least, why Christ called these men at this particular moment, while they were at work, uh, while they were on the job, uh, not to send us a message that we're all to walk off of our jobs if we're going to follow Jesus, but to, te to test them to see, are you willing at this particular moment when you feel the pressure and the stress that all of us feel when we're on the job, when we're working, when we, when we feel the pressures of the cares of this life, uh, there's bills that need to be paid, there's a family that needs to be fed, there's all of this is going through our mind. Are you willing to take a step away from that and answer the call to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? And that's, that, I believe, is the message that Jesus is trying to communicate uh, through calling these men at this time in particular. Uh, if you'll go to Mark chapter 4 with me in your Bible, Mark chapter 4, um, you're, all of you, or most of you, I imagine, are familiar with the parable of the sower of the seed, and uh, the, 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 the sower is, you know, the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ in particular, but any one of us that is sowing the seed of the Word of God, and uh, the seed falls on four different types of ground. And those four different types of ground represent four different conditions of the human heart. Uh, one of them brought forth fruit and three of them didn't. And so I believe that we could accurately say that those three that didn't bring forth fruit uh, literally represent an unsaved person. But I believe that we can also make an application. Because as Christians, our heart can also be found in that same condition as, as, as these types of ground. Uh, let me explain. In, Math, in Mark chapter 4... And in verse 18, the Bible says, and these are they, Jesus is explaining the parable to his disciples. Uh, he says, uh, these are they which are sown among thorns, such as heard the word. And it says, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in. Now, what happens when the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world, it says, they enter in and choke the word that it becometh unfruitful. And so Jesus is saying that if we allow the cares of this world to grow up in our heart like thorns, like weeds in our heart, that they're going to choke the word and it will become unfruitful in our lives. In other words, it's impossible to be an effective, to effectively follow the Lord Jesus Christ if our heart, our time, our life is given over to the cares of this world. Uh, we've had, uh, in Honduras, probably the same thing happens all over, uh, young people that are committed to the Lord, that have a desire, to, that are actually serving in church. Uh, most of the people that are serving in our church and are uh, really active in our church are young people. 
And so in a lot of cases, unfortunately, some of them will graduate high school, they'll start working, uh, or they'll want to go to college, and slowly they'll drift away from church. They don't have time to serve anymore. They don't have time to go out soul winning on Saturday. They don't have time to go out on a bus route on Sunday. Uh, they don't have time to come to church uh, on, on Sunday, even because they're so tired from working or they're, uh, they're out somewhere else, you know, doing something. And so that happens. As Christians, we can allow the cares of this world to choke out uh, what, the, what the Word of God is doing in our lives. So as Christians, if we really want to serve the Lord, we need to make a decision uh, that I'm going to put off, I'm going to distance myself, separate myself from the cares and the worries of this life. I'm not going to allow them to take priority over the things of God, over what God wants me to do uh, to serve Him. Uh, so number one, we need to put off. We need to put off the cares and the worries of this life. Now there's something else here. I don't want to pass over it too quickly, but would you go to Mark chapter 1 with me in your Bible? Mark chapter 1. I believe it sheds a little bit of light on the decision that those men made to follow the Lord Jesus Christ at this moment. Now I don't know if anyone here is part of a family business or has a family business um, my family has, has, you could say, sort of run a family business. My grandfather, I don't know if there's, there are any duck hunters here this morning, but uh, my grandfather uh, has always, or he used to make hunting decoys and uh, decorative decoys, and so my dad followed in his footsteps. And when I was, when I was still in high school, my dad uh, became independent, started working independently of my grandfather, and uh, still to this day works with my, my mom and dad, you know, together working uh, in their, their own little business. Uh, but the, what I'm getting at is that I can understand the pressure that a person might feel to follow in the footsteps of your dad or your grandfather. And I can understand how a father or a grandfather might desire for his son or his daughter uh, to step in and take over the family business. Now, why am I saying that? Well, look at what it says here in Mark chapter 1 and verse 20. It says it's the same story, but there's a detail here in Mark that we don't see in Matthew. It says, in straightway he called them, Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship, and it says, with the hired servants, and went after him. So here they are, same scenario in the ship. They leave their dad standing there holding the nets in his hand. But it also says that there are hired servants. So that tells me, as someone who grew up in that type of an environment, uh, when I was younger, especially during the summer when we were out of school, I would go into the shop with my dad, and uh, my grandfather was working. They were, they had, my, my, my grandfather had some employees there working, and I would do all the dirty work. I would sweep up, I would clean up, I would uh, do everything anyone else didn't want to do, and that was my job there. And so I understand, what it's, I understand what, what, what was, what's going on here. And so what I'm trying to say is that these men didn't just leave a fishing boat and a fishing net. They left their father and they left an established family business. They left an established fishing business that apparently was lucrative enough to be able to pay employees and, and, uh, and, and, uh, and you know, generate enough income to sustain itself to that point. And so it probably was all the more difficult for these men when Jesus comes by, a total stranger to all of these people there, and says, follow me, and they left their dad, they left the business, they left it all and said, I'm going to follow Jesus. 
Now, it might not be leaving a job. It might not be leaving a business. It might not be walking out of anything, but God is calling all of us to follow him. And one thing that will definitely uh, interfere with us following Christ to the fullest extent is if we allow the cares, the worries, the pressures of this world to overcome us to the point where we just give into it and we don't have time for God anymore in our lives. So if we're going to follow Christ, number one, if we're going to be genuine followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to learn to put off, to, 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 we need to learn how to handle the cares and the worries of this life, uh, to work and to uh, generate an income, but not to allow those things to control us. Number two, uh, would you go to Ephesians chapter 4 with me, please, in your Bible? Ephesians chapter 4. We're looking at some things that, as Christians, we need to put off if we're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, uh, the Bible tells us something very important here. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22, the Bible says, and that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. Uh, so let's, Stop right here and do a little and explain what's being said here just a little bit. What is, what is the Bible telling us? It says, number one, put off, and it says the former conversation concerning the former conversation, the old man. When the Bible says conversation, it's talking about our way of life, the way we live. And so it says concerning the way we live, the old man. What is the old man? It refers to the old nature. And specifically, the way we used to live, the way we used to think, the way we used to act, what we used to do before we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is definitely a process. And if you know Jesus, if you know Christ this morning as your Savior, uh, we are in that process of being transformed to be more like Christ. But the Bible tells us here specifically that we are to put off. In other words, like what does put off mean? That's like is if I were to take off my suit jacket and just toss it to the side. You know, we're to, we to put it off. We're to toss it to the side. Uh, put off the way we used to live. In other words, God wants us to put off, uh, to distance ourselves from the way we used to live, to be changed. But then it says in verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So number one, we're supposed to put off the way we used to live before we knew Christ. And number two, there needs to be a renovation. A renovation needs to take place. And I don't know if there's anyone here that likes classic cars. Does anyone like classic cars? I don't know. I, I enjoy classic cars. Uh, I like uh, seeing how someone can take. Well, we were just on our way up here to Connecticut yesterday, and uh, we passed a vehicle that was towing an old car. I don't know what it was. Uh, I'm not very good at identifying all the different types of old vehicles that are out there. looked like it was probably from the 1940s by the shape of it, and it looked like it had been just abandoned for a good number of years. Uh, but you could tell the person's intention was to take that old vehicle and restore it. And the restoration process is when you take an old vehicle that maybe is rusted out, the interior is rotting away, it probably hasn't run for years and years and years, mechanically it's just uh, you know, in, in bad shape, 
and you invest a lot of time, a lot of talent, ability, and resources, money into that vehicle in order to restore it and bring and make it like new or better even than it was originally. Uh, the same thing is done with homes. Take a home, a new or an older home, and uh, renovate that home. Uh, now, when I was 17 years old, the house that I grew up in caught on fire. Uh, it, the, it was a an electrical fire that started in, in my brother's bedroom because of bad wiring. Uh, it, it was, and uh, so the fire with the fire was contained to my brother's bedroom, but the smoke damaged the whole house. I mean, the soot was everywhere. Uh, if you were to walk into that, I mean, nothing in the house was any good anymore. And thankfully, my parents had uh, insurance, and so we were able to uh, renovate, I guess you could say, the house. Every, but everything inside the house had to go. Uh, we had to strip everything down, right down to the studs. It was just, uh, every, and all that was left was the foundation and the studs. I mean, that was it. And then the process of uh, putting everything back in, you know, the, all, the, all the, the drywall, the plumbing, the electric, uh, a new roof, uh, everything, everything brand new. And so the house was completely renovated. And so if you were to walk into that house after that process was complete, you could tell it was the same house. Uh, it was in the same place. The, the, the floor plan was still the same floor plan. Nothing had changed. All the rooms were where they used to be. Uh, you could tell it was the same house. Uh, but we even got new landscaping. And so when you were to walk in, everything looked brand new. The kitchen was new. The bathrooms were new. The carpet was new. The paint was new. Everything was new. And so that's sort of what this word renewed means. In verse 23, it says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And now if, we're going, if something is going to be renewed, if something's going to be renewed, first you have to take out everything that's, that's old, everything that's dilapidated, everything that's no good. And if we're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to put off the old man and the things that have to do with the old life. And we need to allow God to renew our life. It says here, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We need to allow God to renew our life. But there's also a third thing in verse 24. It says in that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And so the process of putting off the old and putting on the new, uh, you know, it's, it's something that, uh, will last our whole lives. It's something that's not from, you know, it doesn't happen uh, from, you know, in a day or a month or a year or even a decade. It's a lifelong process as Christians. Uh, but all of us, if we're, if we're following the Lord Jesus Christ, we ought to be in that process somewhere. Uh, we might all be here in different points in, in different points in that process. There might be people here who've been saved 30, 40, 50 years. Uh, there might be people who have been saved for just a few days or a few weeks. Uh, but all of us as Christians need to be in that process. And if we're going to be following Christ, we need to be allowing him to renew our mind, to renew our life, and to, be, and to put on the new man. Now, what is put on the new man? In verse 22, we were to put off the old man, the things that had to do with the way we lived, the way we acted, uh, the way we think, the, everything has to do with the old life. And now we're instructed to put something on, put on the new man. 
The new man is, uh, to say it simply, we're just to let people see Christ in our lives. In the same way we put off the old, we're to put on the new. Now, when we all got up this morning, we hopefully took a shower, right, and uh, got ready, got dressed. And so when a person sees me, when, we, when a person sees you, uh, they can't see inside of us. We, only, we can only see what's on the outside. And that's the idea here, put on the new man. In other words, I'm not talking about clothing. What I'm talking about is what people see when they look at us, uh, when they look at our lives. Do they see Christ in us? Uh, does our life reflect the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what it means to put on the new man. You know, I could put on my best Sunday clothes, but if my attitude, my life, uh, my way, the way I live doesn't reflect Christ, then I'm failing at that. And so if we're going to be genuine followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, number two, we need to put off the old and put on the new. Look what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 in your Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. In verse 20 and 21. The Bible says here, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore, it says, verse 21, if a man therefore purge himself from these, what, is, what are these? He's talk, Paul's talking about things that don't honor God, a sinful life. If a man should purge, if a man for therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. So what is, according to what the Bible says here, what is God looking for? He's, looking, he's not looking for the most intelligent people, the handsomest people. He's looking for people who are simply clean vessels, meat for the master's use. And the Bible says that when we purge ourselves, when we put off those things that are not pleasing to God, it says that we will be prepared unto every good work. I don't know about you, but I want to be used of God. I want God to use my life. I want my life to matter for God. I want it to count for the cause of Christ. I don't want to be, I don't want to be a Christian that just is, that is comfortable with just coming to church every Sunday, sitting in a pew, sitting in a chair, listening to the preaching, and walking away and never my entire life doing something for God, never making a difference for the cause of Christ here on earth. I want my life to matter for God. And so the Bible says if we are to do that, First, we need to purge ourselves from the things that are not pleasing to God, uh, from sin. And when we do that, the Bible says right here, we will be prepared unto every good work. Uh, so you want to be a follower of Christ? You say, I don't, I don't really feel like I have anything to offer him. I don't really feel like I have much talent, much ability, much knowledge, much of anything that God could use. Uh, well, you be a clean vessel. Be a clean vessel. And you'll see how God will use your life. Uh, you, you purge yourself, like it says here, of those things that are not pleasing to God, and you'll see how God will begin to use you in ways that you didn't expect. Uh, so number one, we need to put off, distance ourselves from the cares and the worries of this life if we're going to genuinely follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, number two, we need to put off the old man, put off the old way of life, put on the new. Uh, we need to purge ourselves, in other words, from the things that are not pleasing to God. And one more thing I'd like to mention if we're going to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 26, would you go there with me? Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. 
Now, in Matthew chapter 26, we see a very different version of Peter than we saw at the beginning and that we see throughout most of uh, what, what, what is his time with, with Jesus. A very different Peter uh, than the Peter who is usually outspoken and bold. And uh, we often criticize Peter for being too outspoken, too ready to speak. And uh, I at least admire the fact that he was brave enough to speak up when a lot of people were keeping quiet. And uh, so I can respect that. He didn't always say the right thing at the right time, uh, but he at least had the courage to say something. Uh, but here we see a very different Peter. And uh, Jesus is being arrested. Uh, he's, being, um, he's going to be tried and falsely accused and convicted uh, here before uh, the, the Jewish high court, I guess you could call it, the Sanhedrin. And in verse 57, the Bible says something about Peter. It says, and they, had laid, and they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him. How was Peter following Jesus now? It says, Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants. Now, why did Peter go in and sit with them? It says, to see the end. In other words, what I see here is Peter's just curious. That's what the Bible says. It says he, he didn't go in to be with Jesus or to, to identify himself as a follower of Christ. He went in just to see how all of this was going to end. Very different Peter than the Peter who not long ago said that he was ready to die with Christ. And so why is Peter following Jesus afar off? I believe a lot of us as Christians, and let me tell you, I have 100% been there. Not a, not, I'm not proud to admit it, but as a Christian, I've been in a place where, you know, I was following Jesus afar off. And I believe a lot of Christians are right there, even Christians who are in church every week, following Jesus afar off. It's, it's when you're not completely out in the world, you know, you haven't, you haven't gone back to the world, but you're not completely committed to Christ either. We're following Jesus from afar off. Why was Peter doing that? Well, I think it's pretty obvious that Peter was afraid. He denied Jesus three times, you know, right, right then in that, at, that, at that point in time in his life. He denied knowing Christ. He was afraid to identify, openly identify himself as a follower of Jesus at this moment. Why? I think it's obvious. He was afraid to face the consequences that that might have brought him at that moment. He, he was afraid to die with Jesus, even though he said that he was willing to do it. Now, a lot of us, it was really easy, I'll say it like this, it's really easy to say, you know, I would, I would die for the, the, the cause of Christ. I would die for the Lord. You know, if, if I was one of those Christians in that part of the world or in that time in history, oh yeah, they would have, they would have burnt me at the stake. I would have, I would have been the, one of the ones that gave my life for Jesus, that gave my life for the cause of Christ. It's very easy to say that, you know, in the comfort of the Christianity that we live in this part of the world and this time in history. Very easy to say that. Peter said it, not knowing that a few hours later, he was actually going to have to face that exact type of situation. And so here we see fear controlling Peter. And that's why Peter has distanced himself from Jesus. 
And I'll tell you this morning, if we're going to be followers of Christ, we're going to have to learn to overcome our fear of a lot of different things. A lot of different things. Maybe your fear isn't being martyred because we don't really face that, that type of uh, persecution here. But there's a lot of people, there's a lot of young people I've known through the years that have been afraid to commit themselves to the Lord, that have been afraid to answer a call of God to be a pastor, to be a missionary, because they're afraid of the consequences they know they'll face. They're afraid of what their family will say, afraid of what their friends will think. They're afraid of their own future. How will God, you know, you know will God be able to provide? You know, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm not working a secular job, if I give myself... Uh, to the, over to a calling in the ministry, how will I get by in life? How will I feed my family? And so there's a lot of things we could be afraid of. They can hinder us from following Christ. Uh, I was terrified when I was in high school, in particularly, I was terrified of getting up in front of a group of strangers. I almost didn't pass English class one year because I refused to give a book report in front of the class. And the teacher was very kind, and she let me do it in the library, you know, just, uh, I guess, after class sometime, from what I remember. She took off a lot of points, but I passed the English class, barely. But I was terrified of getting up in front of people. And guess what God called me to do for the rest of my life? Get up in front of people and preach. <laughs> and so we have to get over certain fears. We have to get over certain fears. If not, those fears will forever control our decisions to the point where it will limit the way that God can use us. Let's look at one more passage here. I imagine I have to be done right about now. Uh, so let's just look at one more thing and I'll be done. 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10. That will, will be finished. 1 Samuel chapter 10. So here's Saul. He was the first king of Israel. God, had, God chose him to be king and he was a very tall man, physically probably imposing man. But then when it came down to the moment when he was going to be officially made king, installed as king of Israel, verse 20, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 20, God used this process to let it be known to Israel who he was and that God had chosen him. It says, and when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was taken and when he, when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was taken, and Saul the son of Kish was taken, and when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, if the man should yet come thither. Lord, did we make a mistake somewhere? And it says, and the Lord answered, behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. Are you hiding among the stuff? hiding in church, hiding from God, because you're just afraid to take that step of faith, to answer that call, uh, to take that responsibility that God is calling you to take and just trust in the Lord and serve him and do what's right with your life. And so there's just some things that as Christians we're going to have to overcome. Fear is definitely something we're going to have to constantly learn to overcome. Uh, whether it's, you know, one, if it's not one thing, it'll be another. But we're going to have to trust God and overcome fear. We're going to have to, as Christians, put off, put off, the, you know, put off fear, put off the old man, put on the new. And put off the cares and the worries of this life if we're going to be genuine followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your attention. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for what we've heard from you.